Let's say someone says to you, oh, this is awesome, you've got to try this. Is that good advice or bad advice? Well, kind of depends on the person, right? If this person is a person who loves to do pranks, practical jokes, like some of our friends and family, maybe a risky move to accept that offer. If this is someone who is uh, malicious, maybe it's dangerous to accept that offer. Maybe it's not good advice. Uh, if you're at a party and maybe someone has ulterior motives, maybe it's really risky and it should not be advice that you take because that person's not for you. In those cases, those people are not for you. But what if it's someone that loves you, that, that's your, your partner, your teammate, a friend, um, a confidant, and they say, here, try this, it's great. You then, you, you have this level of trust with them. You say, okay, well, that's good advice. A good advice is always based on who we are, based on who that other person is, and based on the situation. It's gotta be specific. That advice not, might not be good for someone else. It might not be good coming from someone else, or it might not be good at that moment. Now, what if you're on the edge of a road and the person next to you is like, it's all clear, go for it, run, cross. Is that good advice or bad advice? Again, it depends, right? What's your state? What's your condition? How big is the road? Is it a little dirt road with no cars in sight? Is it a 12-lane highway? Does that person have your best interest in mind? Does that person have it in for you and is holding a grudge? Can that person see where they're going? Is it, that's what good advice is. There is good advice and there is tons of terrible advice out there in the world that we should not take. So how do you sift through and know who to believe? You talk to your friends about a situation in your life and your family and they give you advice. Is it good or not? You have questions about things in the world happening around us, social issues, politics, faith, friendships, whatever, and then you read a book. Is it good advice? Should you take the advice of that book? Could be a Christian author, could be a non-Christian author, do you take the advice? It can be risky at times. The one person it's not risky to take advice from, though, is Father God. He always gives the best advice. He always has our best interest in mind, plus the best interest of his fuller plan, which sometimes even supersedes what's best for us. So it's like best in the, the capital B sort of way. The best way. We can trust God's advice. God gives the best advice. And every good mentor, a good peer um, mentor, friend, confidant, will give good advice. Advice that's for us, who we are. If we're too bold and brash, we don't need someone giving the, us the advice. Go say whatever you want. Just speak what's on your mind. We need to be told, rein it in a little bit. Because that's who we are. And a good mentor. Maybe you have a mentor uh, who's one of your parents plays the role of mentor in your life. Maybe you have a therapist that you speak to on a regular basis who's a good mentor. <clears throat> Maybe you have a discipler in church. Maybe you have a pastor, a friend. Maybe there is an author that you read and they just speak your language and give you good advice for yourself. But it has to be specific. That advice has to be uh, momentary, has to be timely, has to be accurate, and really has to have your best interest at mind. But God's advice is always that way because he knows us better than we know ourselves and he knows what's about to happen and we can trust God. So the topic for our conversation today is fear. And fear is so prevalent. People are afraid of COVID. We're afraid of politics. We're afraid of the future of our country and of our world. We're afraid of financial ruin. We're afraid of uh, our school system, the educational system that our kids are going through. We're afraid of all the pressures that are on our children, the world they're growing up in. There's so many things that we could be afraid of. And just like Joshua and Israel as they came into the promised land, there really were giants there. There's legitimate cause for concern. But 
God has advice on fear because we all have to recognize that we're not supposed to just live our lives afraid, right? There are things that make us afraid along the way, and that's what we're going to talk about, but we're not supposed to just be afraid. If someone looks at you and says, man, that's just a fearful person, it would be such a shame if they're like, oh, that's a Christian. That's just such a fearful person because those two things really shouldn't go together in that same exact way. When we have confidence in God, our faith should be overcoming our fears, should be overriding our fears, should be undermining those fears so that we don't have to stay afraid. We're always going to face temptations and fear is a temptation. Will we fall into it? That's the question. So God has such specific advice on this for Joshua, advice that he gave to him directly. And we're entering into this new sermon series on the book of Joshua, on the man Joshua. And as you know, we, we led up to it with all the places in scripture, Deuteronomy, Numbers, um, Exodus, where we see Joshua showing up and... Um, Last week, we talked about how he became the Joshua that we know. Remember, he didn't start out as the Joshua that he became, the mighty general, one of the the greatest military and and otherwise leaders of God's people in the Old Testament. Um, He became that way. And how? He was mentored by Moses. He was in connection with God. And he lived out all those experiences, seeing God work. And then when it was time for him to accept the mantle, he was commissioned. He became a leader. And so we took encouragement from that last week that we want to become the people that God's making us into. We're not finished. No one's finished here. Sanctification is a lifelong process until we are fully glorified in heaven. So we get to grow into who we're becoming. Key to that growth, key to good growth is that we're mentored and discipled along the way. And the best mentor and discipler is Father God himself. And the best example is Jesus himself. And the best route to our success is the Holy Spirit within us when we believe, guaranteeing us eternity, but guaranteeing us strength and guidance, wisdom, right? The Holy Spirit of wisdom in the moment. So we're going to look at God's advice to Joshua. And as we are, uh, there are a few factors that contribute to fear. And God gives the best advice in all of them. But if you look at the opposite of those, as we go through them, you're going to recognize also that there are these pitfalls and traps that you can fall into. There are, there are things that produce fear in our lives as humans, for all of us. They produce fear all the time, easily. Uh, we're tempted in these ways consistently. We will be our entire lives. But God has the alternative. He has the opposite. He offers us hope that we don't have to live in fear. And so his five, the five points on fear that I can see in just Joshua chapter one that we're going to read together in just a second are God's antidotes, the anti-fear for each of these ways that we're so easily can slip into a fearful mindset. And so I want to take encouragement from Joshua. I identify with him in some ways. In some ways, he feels like such an inspiration beyond what we could achieve. But he was just a man, just like us. Uh, He's just a person. And so we can look at his example and say, if God did that with that person, well, then he could do this with me. And so I think in a world where fear does creep in so often, Um, I would love to have some great advice from God on how to deal with that and hopefully even to some small extent experience the success and the joy that Joshua experienced as he implemented these five things as well. So let's go ahead and read Joshua 1 together and... um, If you can pick them out, you know, sort of see what this passage is saying to you as we read it, please do so. And then we'll we'll kind of dig in deeper when we get to the end. So Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, 
The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, you arise into a leadership position. Go over this Jordan River, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. So be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. See, we've got repetition here happening. Notice things when they get repeated in Scripture. God said this twice. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do, um, to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. There it is a third time. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. For then three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. So your wives and your little ones and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over, armed, before your brothers, and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and you shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And there it is, the fourth time in one chapter of the Bible. You have this being repeated to Joshua four times, three times by God, one time by the people of Israel. So I don't know what stood out to you as we read through that, as you're thinking about fear and the situation they're about to go in, and there's a land of giants ahead of them, but God's with them, and, and Joshua's leadership, and the transition from Moses, and the people, and the unity, and, and all this. But what stood out to me was that phrase, strong, be strong. And have courage. Be courageous. And so I started looking through scripture and tried to find out where it, it appears. And I found that, that phrase appears in the Old Testament 14 times. And six of them are to Joshua alone. I'm like, okay, well, if I'm a mentor, I'm giving advice. You're giving this advice to the same person. This must be advice that he particularly needs. Joshua needed to be reminded to be strong and have courage. 
So does that mean that he was a fearful sort of person? And so I kept digging deeper and I thought, I realized, no, nowhere in this scripture does it say that Joshua felt afraid, that he was cowardly, that he was timid. In fact, every time we see him acting, it's decisively. The Lord says this, he goes and he does it. Follow this command, he follows that command. He seems very steadfast, very authoritative. The people follow, he leads. He's a very faithful leader. So many of the failings that we see in Moses, he didn't get to the promised land. And later on in King David with Bathsheba, like we don't even see that in Joshua. He's just committed. He was raised as Moses' assistant, mentored by him. And I think he just believed and had faith and then just lived it out his whole life. Not that he was perfect. He makes some mistakes we see here. Um, he falls for someone, the Gibeonites, who are trying to trick him. He falls for that. So he's not a perfect person, but he's very faithful and consistent. A man after God's own heart. So these 14 times, we see Moses says, be strong and courageous to the nation of Israel once. There's the first. Moses says it twice to Joshua. So there's his mentor giving him advice twice. God says it to Joshua three more times. At the end of this chapter we just read, the nation of Israel says it to Joshua once. Like, be our strength. Be strong. If we go on further, King David tells his son Solomon before he assumes leadership, be strong and courageous. There's more advice for a young leader about to step into a season of very dynamic leadership. David wrote in a couple of psalms, a couple of his songs of worship, be strong and courageous. Hezekiah, King Hezekiah said it to all of his leaders, be strong and courageous, you know, equipping them with what was ahead, what they were about to do. Then the last one we have in the Old Testament is Daniel. An angel appears to him and says, this is what's about to come. And he says to Daniel, be strong and have courage. I just think it's so interesting that in all these situations, not necessarily because they had fallen into fear, but because they were about to try something so daunting and big that fear was unavoidably going to be confronting them very soon. And so before they got to that point, God, through Moses and David and Solomon, all these people, you know, is giving the advice, the good advice. Gather your strength. Summon what strength you have. You know, collect your reserves, but also expand your strength. The two words there, be strong and have courage, are actually very similar words. They're almost like synonyms. So it's like be strong and gain strength. Be strong physically, act strong, but also have mental resolve and toughness and discipline. Um, expand your capacity for strength and then act upon that gathered Strength. You know, be strong and, and be courageous. Act strong, live strong, grow in your strength. This is perfect advice for someone before they get into the fearful moment. And this is God's advice to Joshua before he begins this, this epic season of leadership. Uh, which God provides the victory for. So in looking at that phrase, I recognize this is good mentoring by God, by Moses for Joshua. He needed it, but not just because he was afraid. And so some of us here may really identify with being fearful people. And that may be part of our personality, part of our experiences, and our own health and illness and wellness, mental wellness, physical can lend to a fearful disposition. But even for those of us that aren't afraid of a thing or don't identify with being fearful, are you gathering strength ahead of time so that when you experience fear, because you will and I will, that we will have been prepared 
beforehand. And, and this leads us into the, the advice on fear that we can, we can get. The first one is about this timing of it. The timing, as I've said, are you gathering your strength before you enter into things? Being spiritually prepared for something is a very powerful experience. When you start a day with the Lord and and then you encounter obstacles, you have this sense of being carried and being confident and secure. That if you got up and you've been running ragged since the first moment you woke up and, and things have been happening, you're scattered, then when one more thing happens, you just don't know how to handle it. Before you start a new job, do you gather your strength? You say, I want to be strong. I want to grow in strength in this. Before you start a relationship, do you start with the Lord so that he can be your strength? The timing has a lot to do with fear because the opposite of that, of being prepared, is being blindsided. We can be blindsided by situations all the time. We go in for a routine doctor's checkup and they find a cancerous tumor that we didn't even know was there. And so we're thankful that we found it and it feels like, but we are blindsided and the fear erupts like an explosion within us. We weren't prepared for that. And these things happen. But if we're prepared in the Lord, then no matter what happens, we say, well, he's with me. I'm with him. This is tragic, devastating news. I don't know how to handle it. But Father, we're together. But if you feel like you're not prepared, then it's the blindsided nature, blindsiding nature of fear will crush us. And so there's the trap. When you see something on the news and it scares you, it's like you get into an accident and that immediate feel like, am I okay? Something, something immediate happens and the fear erupts within us. Someone says something, we realize, oh no, there's a big problem here in our relationship. The, the eruption of fear That can be mitigated against by a a preparation beforehand in strength. Before you start a relationship, before you start a day, before you start your week, are we gathered? Have we summoned the strength that the God has given us so far? And are we expanding upon that strength so that when something happens, be like, wow, I would never be able to handle this if it wasn't for the Lord. I know he's got me. I don't know how we're going to do this, but I know he's got me. The confidence carries through. You know, sometimes we do get blindsided. It happens anyway, and God's happy to rescue us midstream. You know, in the middle of a day, in the middle of a a career, when those unexpected things happen, he's happy to step in and be the comforter. But don't you think once in a while he'd love to not have to rescue us in the middle of a problem because we had been prepared with him before the problem ever arose so that we find ourselves carried through in such a way that our experience with fear is one of walking hand by hand with God through it rather than feel like, oh, no, now it's going to happen. God, please help me intervene. God does both. But I think he's calling us like Joshua before we even start fighting our battles to start with him. The timing of these things will lend to you the strength. It will either produce fear in us because we have not prepared beforehand, or if we're gathering strength, it will reduce our fear. Now, the second pitfall of fear that I see in Joshua, I know in us, it has to relate has to do with quantity. It relates to the quantity of things happening in our lives. We get overwhelmed. 
and we get overwhelmed and then we get stressed and we get stressed and then we get anxious and we get anxious and then we get afraid. I'm never going to be able to do all this. I'm never going to be able to accomplish all this work. I'm never going to be able to satisfy my boss and his requirements. I'm never going to get done the things here at home that I need to and I want to. I'm never going to be able to do all this. And being overwhelmed makes us afraid. It's the I can't. It's the I never will. And that's a trap. And it's a lie. Because with God, all things are possible. And you're not doing this on your own. You're doing it with him. So Joshua could easily be overwhelmed. And if you remember when the spies went into the promised land, many of them were overwhelmed and it led to fear. And so they rejected it and they went back into the wilderness, traveled for 40 years and then died and didn't get to experience the promise of God because they got overwhelmed in fear. Some of us are overwhelmed in our lives in general. And instead of being overwhelmed, we need to recognize that we need to choose our battles. Choose our battles. We're not called to fight every battle. We're not called to fight every battle. In our to-do list of 100 things, if you were to look at that and just put a little a capital G next to each one of those things on that list that you know for a fact God has called you to do, how many things that you were overwhelmed by would get the G? Half? Probably not. Probably not even half. What do you know God has called you to do? Because he will provide a way for you to do what he has called you to do. But if you're adding to that list and then feeling overwhelmed and afraid you can't get it all done, you might need to just cut some things out of that list and say, what is God calling me to do? And then I can have confidence in accomplishing only what he's called me to do. And I won't be overwhelmed by trying to do all the things that he doesn't either care if I do or is not calling me to do or doesn't even want me to do. This quantity fear. There's too many problems in the world. There's too many problems in the country. There's too many problems financially. There's too many problems in every. There's too many problems in the church. I'm afraid it'll never work. We can never get this done. Full-blown pessimism. Pessimism. It's not where we're called to stay. And when that feels, it finds its way into us, we feel that way. We need to say, God, what have you called me to do? And Joshua had that privilege. You recognize that God said. I am calling you to lead this people. He's very specific. And so since Joshua had that sense of calling, he was able to choose just the things that God called him to do. And this leads us to our third point on fear. A sense of responsibility. It has to do with ownership. Ownership. A lot of times we feel responsible for things that really we should be delegating to God. They're actually his territory. We're trying to take them over. We need to trust him. We need to know what our real source of strength is. God is our source of strength. There were three things that I saw in this chapter, maybe you noticed them as well, that God points to as the source of jo uh, Joshua's confidence. One is, don't let the, the book of the, my word, the book of the law, depart from your mouth. So the Bible, God's word, his written word, that is never changing. That is perfect advice, perfect truth for all time. Because God doesn't change. So we can rest in that and say, the Bible is God speaking to me, perfect truth. How can I apply this well? But God also says, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. So God's presence, he's with us, means we're not doing this on our own. 
And then that calling, God's calling, here are his promises. So God's word, God's presence, and his promises, those are the true source of our strength. And when we're trying to figure things out on our own, when we're trying to make our own to-do list, when we're grappling with our own fears, we're not acknowledging that God is with us in this conversation. It's like he's sitting right there, Jesus sitting with us at the table, and we're ignoring him so we can work out our pros and cons list. And we're forgetting the things that he's promised us. He's, I promise you I will bring you into this land. So what has God promised you? That's him taking ownership of the results. And us just saying, what am I called to do today? And taking a million consecutive obedient steps, which is a life well lived. That's faithfulness. And trusting God with ownership. So we delegate to God all the results. I delegate to God the results for world hunger. I delegate to God the results for the politics and safety of our country and its future. I delegate to God the results of my children's outcomes in life and successes and failures. And I accept my responsibility for the things that he's called me to do. So as I use my finances, as I vote in this country, as I speak to my children, am I making a million consecutive godly obedient choices and steps of action? Well, then I'm honoring God. And it will reduce my fear if I delegate to him the results. But if we feel responsible, like, I got to make sure that my family is good. I got to make sure that things work out. You take on things to yourself that are only God's, then we'll be afraid. I will never be able to do it, which will turn into this attitude of full-time onslaught of pessimism. And that's not where Christians are meant to stay. That may be a personality type. And if it is, you probably call it realism instead of pessimism. And that's fine. As an optimist... I need good realists in my life to balance me out. But pessimists, you need God and his accurate optimism to balance you out. Because you cannot live in a state of fear and sense of failure and impending doom and then call yourself a Christian and go and walk out in the world and communicate to whoever you encounter that Christians believe that everything's going to go wrong. Christians believe that there's no hope for the world. Christians believe that you know, everything's bad. That's because that's not Jesus' message. So we have to balance out that feeling of fear and hopelessness. Even if there are things that are giants with our strength in God. Is God still good? Does his word still hold true? Are his promises still true? Has he called us? Well, then that's the ownership that he has. And we can trust him with individual steps. Two more things that I see as these, these factors to whether fear takes us over or whether we gain victory like Joshua did. And this next one is partnership. Every time that Joshua is reminded by someone of this, be strong, Joshua. Be strong. You're going to need strength for what's up ahead. Not, hey, dude, stop being so scared. But like, what's up ahead is daunting. So gather your strength. Be strong in the Lord. Every time he's reminded of that, he's reminded that he's not alone. He's reminded that he's with God's people. He's reminded that he's with his mentor while Moses was still with him. He's reminded that he's with God. He's reminded, he's reminded, he's reminded. We get reminded on Sunday morning sometimes. We gather with Christians. Sometimes we have Christians in our homes and we have meals. We remind each other that God is good. When we go through a tough time, we call and we don't give a simple little platitude. Oh, everything's going to be fine. But we just say, oh, this is terrible. If there's a tragedy going on in your life, a good friend reminds us 
but we're going to somehow see how God leads us through this. God loves you. We remind each other because if we don't, what's the opposite of that? What's the trap that we fall into? Feeling alone, feeling isolated. And when we are alone and isolated, we are fair game for fear to run rampant in us. I'm never going to be able to do this because I feel alone. Things are not going to work out. Well, you need the person at that moment to remind you things can work out. I don't know how they will, but God knows how they could. Let's seek him. Oh, just let me give you a hug. We're together. Isolation, feeling alone, that, that promotes and produces fear. It begets fear. Fear begets fear. It takes us over. But being reminded, being around others, even just physically being near others is a reminder that we do not walk alone. We do not fight alone. We do not stand alone. We are part of a church. We are part of a body. We are part of a kingdom. We are part of Christ. Christ is a part of us. We need those reminders. And I just thought, oh, reminding one another of God and his goodness and of our, our unity is such a great fear reducer. And it's why so many people in the world are so hopeless in their fears because they don't have that reminder because they do not believe that there is a God or a kingdom or a family or a body that they're a part of bigger than themselves and a Jesus that can save them no matter what. And when we remind each other of that, we catch our breath. We push fear away and we say, I will not accept that fear. I see it in front of me, but I do not accept that it is the answer. I do not accept that it will happen in the worst case scenario as I'm imagining. And I do not accept that I am alone in it. We don't have to be alone. Alone is such a big fear producer. And reminders of family, such a wonderful fear reducer. Who can you help this week reduce their fears by just talking with them and reminding them that they are not alone? If someone comes to your mind right now, please call that person as soon as this message is done. And just say hi, be with them on the phone, tell them they're not alone, tell them God loves them. Joshua needed it. And if Joshua, who did so much, needed this reminder, we certainly do as well. Partnership. It's a key factor in how we relate to fear. And the last one has to do with progress. The last factor, progress. One of the worst things in life that can make us feel so helpless and afraid is if we just feel stuck. It's never going to work out. This thing's never going to change. That problem in my marriage is never going to go away. This addiction that I'm quietly, secretly fighting behind the scenes that no one knows anything about is never going to stop. I'm never going to be free of it. This problem that I'm having with my child at whatever age they're at is never going to change. They're never going to grow out of this stage. They're never going to learn that lesson. This thing that I'm trying to become is never going to happen. I'm going to be stuck. Being stuck is such a fear producer, such a sense of hopelessness. But do you recognize with God and with Joshua? He just takes it one step at a time and says, just take action. Arise. That's the first thing he says to him. Arise now. Get up. Stand up. We've got places to go. And the first step is gather your people and take them over the Jordan. And so Joshua does. So if they had stayed on this side of the Jordan anticipating all the things they could be afraid of, they never would have realized, well, when we get to the Jordan, God's going to part this water. We're going to go across. Oh, man, we took a step and look what God did. Progress, action, steps, obedience, something proactive is the antidote 
to feeling stuck. And it can be the smallest thing. I challenge you, if you feel stuck in an area of your life, to come down to the smallest 1% of change that would be possible. 0.01% of change, and then just do that. Creep forward a step in the place where you're stuck. It will reduce your fear. Never taking that step, being overwhelmed by the length of journey, how hard it'll be to successfully complete or finish or become, will keep us immobilized, which allows fear to run rampant. We have to have progress, and Joshua did, and so therefore, he got to see the next miracle, and that's what we want, but that's what we're afraid of sometimes. What if God doesn't come through again? What if this thing doesn't work out? Well, you're never going to know until you find out. And with faith in God and what he's calling you to do, you will find that he meets you there because he's gone ahead of you. But if we stay where we are, the fears will mount. We will become more and more rooted, unchangeable, resistant to change, and hopeless. And that's not what God calls us to be. So do you see these things? We have, we have quantity. You have being overwhelmed in fear versus choosing what God is calling us to do. We have the timing of things, feeling blindsided by fear versus being prepared in advance and God's strength carrying us through. We have ownership. Either it's all on me. I'm so responsible for this. It's never going to work out versus God's responsible for whether things work out or not. I'm just responsible for steps. It's partnership. You know, I'm not alone. I don't have to be afraid on my own. We're together with a part of I belong, I matter, and progress. You know, fear wants us to be stuck in place, and God wants us to see miracles. All of this we see in Joshua's life, and he's being mentored in these things. And so as he learns them, and as they're then recorded in the Bible for us to read, we're supposed to learn from this. These are lessons for us. It's God's advice to Joshua, yes, but it's his advice to us as well. Will you take this advice? Will you put fear in its proper place? You know, Jesus is the ultimate anti-fear, isn't he? And in a way, doesn't he fit into each of these categories, right? He made the choice to save us. He gives us a choice to choose him and have eternal life. Right? He helps us know that uh, we are not alone because he is with us, Right? He took on the ownership of our sins on the cross so that we could believe in him and so that we, even in a sinful life, can have hope of eternity with God. Right? Jesus was there before. He goes before us. He didn't wait for us to, to live and to die and to sin before he steps in and paves the way so that we could come to the Father. You know, he took steps before us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. In all these things, Jesus is the antidote to fear. He's the ultimate hope. He's the ultimate proof that God can conquer all fears. He conquered death, conquered the cross, conquered sin. Jesus was tempted in every way as we are. So all these fears that we faced, he faced. But look at how he lived through it. He was able to choose God's way and God's will in those confrontations with fear as he's tempted in the wilderness, as he lives his entire life. So that should give us hope. He's our great example. The living word of God, God in human form. And so when we follow him, when we come to God and we kneel and we say, I confess that I am afraid, Father God, forgive me. Jesus, please carry me. Please walk with me. Aid me as I stumble along in this journey. And Jesus is like, oh, I've been there. I've got you. We're in this together and we're going to make progress. And it's not too much. 
God has called you. And God's in charge of the results. So good news, he's guaranteed the results. Let's just keep walking together. The last word I'll say, just to bring it all together, is that fear is not final. Fear is not final. It's not the end of something. It's not the, the destination. Fear is a proposition. It's being offered to us. It is a temptation. Before we encounter something or as we encounter something, we're offered this card. Do you want to be afraid of this? You should be afraid of this. For all these reasons, this should make you scared to death. We get to choose to accept or not accept that proposition. And if we say, no, thank you, I choose not to fear because God is with me, because I'm not alone, because I'm standing strong in his word already, because it's not too much, because I know what he wants me to do, and I know where I'm going, and I'm slowly and steadily working there, we reject the fear that's offered to us. And this is what I see in Jesus. Fear was proposed to him all the time. What if they kill you? What if the Romans get you? What if the Jews get you? What if you fall to temptation and the death? He just rejected it all. He knew who he was. He knew who God was. And we can know who we are as well and whose we are. Our identity is in Christ. And therefore, we can walk through the temptation to fear in the same way that he did. So if any of these things relate to you, may you be encouraged. May fear not grab a hold of you and rob you of the hope and the peace and the strength that God wants to give you, that he has given you in his spirit. Please claim your identity as a Christian, as someone who does not let fear win. And when it's offered to you, even if you might take the card for a second, drop it, you throw it, you tear it up, say, no, I do not accept that. That is not who I am. And God is greater than this. And if you would be so bold as to even go one step further than that, please think of the people in your lives that are always afraid. May your heart go out to them in compassion the same way Jesus' heart went out. And you looked at everyone and they were, they were scared and they were aimless and they were like sheep without a shepherd. He just wanted to comfort them. Peace, peace, my children. Peace, peace, Jerusalem. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you from gentle in spirit. You'll find rest in me. This is the Jesus that we know and love. Would you please live that out in someone else's life this week? Think of those people that are caught by fear and talk to them about being overwhelmed versus knowing what we're called to do. Talk to them about finding strength in the God in God before we hit circumstances. Talk to them about the fact that God's in control of the results, but we're in control of steps. What steps could they take? Tell them you're with them. Remind them. We're partners. And maybe help them take the smallest step in a, in a good direction. Would you please share God's love this week with someone in regards to fear? We need to be a bright spot in our country and our world when it comes to fear and peace, when it comes to fear versus faith. And I think Joshua provides us a wonderful, beautiful example of what that can look like. So may it bless you. May we live this out and absorb this into our own lives in such a way that we're able to carry it and share it this week.